Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Uh, The first reading will actually be the one from the Old Testament in Isaiah, chapter 56. And the church Bibles can be found on page 742. So Isaiah 56... And we'll start at verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. And then in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. Acts chapter 8 on page 1101. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? himself or someone else. 
Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Well, uh, evening everyone. Um, I think I've just about managed to warm up. I hope that uh, the, uh, the people who were baptised have just about warmed up as well. Do keep the Bibles open at Acts chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at this account um, together. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray for us again as we come to look at it. Our Lord God, we pray that um, as we spend uh, the next few minutes together looking at this account, you'd help us to understand what it says very clearly and the implications of it for our lives. Help me to speak uh, faithfully in a way that makes the text clear and we pray for each one of us that we would hear your voice as we hear your word this evening and that it might change us for your glory. Amen. So um, how does someone connect with God? Uh, this evening, um, we've um, celebrated together with, uh, with Reese, Catherine, Leisha, with um, Cheska, um, the, um, uh, the fact that they have um, connected with God. They've met him in their lives, and um, they're starting out on this great journey as Christians. We've, um, we've given three of them that great sign of baptism, of uh, welcome into God's people. But, but how exactly does someone connect with the true and living God, with our creator. I don't know about you, I often meet people who are searching for something spiritually. They want more of God or or they want to feel connected to him. Um, I was talking to someone in the last few weeks who was very excited because um, this summer he's planning a pilgrimage to a place in France which is famous for people um, having an experience of closeness to God. And he was over the moon to talk about how uh, maybe this summer he'd really experience connectedness to God. Uh, Think of another friend who's taken to um, Eastern meditation each morning. And she wants to feel spiritually connected through, um, through meditating each morning. Um, people um, are, are often searching. Uh, they want more of God. I'm aware, too, that, um, that the search for God can be a very disappointing thing for some. It, it can be a disappointing experience to feel like you're looking for God, but, but maybe you're not God's type after all. Maybe God isn't looking for you. Uh, this week I was hearing of a young woman who's walked away from the Christian church because, um, because she just wasn't feeling it. She'd never had that experience of God that she was looking for. And this evening, as we come to this passage, Acts 8, the question we're very much going to see an answer to is, is how you connect with the true and living God, our creator. But we meet a man who is very disappointed in his search to find God. Uh, We see in verse 27 that he was a a powerful and significant man. Um, Look at verse 27. He was an important official in charge of all the treasury of 
Kandaki, Queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, here is um, uh, something like the Chancellor of the Exchequer of a nation. He's someone who's powerful and involved in the affairs of state. He, um, he works at the sort of equivalent of number 11 Downing Street in that nation. And, um, and he's searching for God. And I guess he sort of um, plucks up the courage to finally ask his boss, the Queen, um, can I take a long journey to go and be connected with God? You see, he knew that in the Old Testament, the temple in Jerusalem, the place that you went to meet with God, and we're told, verse 27, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. You can imagine him um, sort of plucking up the courage and finally saying to the queen, look, would you mind if I took, um, took a few weeks out of, um, of, of running the finances of the country to go and connect with the true and living God, the creator Uh, It was a long journey for him. Uh, In the first century, Ethiopia wasn't quite where it is on the maps today. It's more like modern-day Sudan. But um, Google Maps tells me that that would take you 120 hours in your car to make that journey. And here he is in an ox-drawn chariot. So this is a long journey this man makes to find God, to meet with his creator. And um, he's got a real desire to meet him. You can imagine him as he arrives in Jerusalem. Now, I've not been to modern Jerusalem, but in the first century, um, the temple towers over the city on Mount Zion. Here is the place where people can go to meet with God. He's traveled for what must have been days, weeks even, to get there. And you can imagine he says to his servants, well, um, look, you, you guys just wait here with, um, with the chariot and the oxen and so on, and, um, and I'm just going to go in and meet with God. And, um, and initially, he, he's fine. He gets into the court of the Gentiles, the sort of um, the, the foyer on the way in, if you like. And, um, and it's as he goes through that foyer and he comes to the doors of the temple proper that he meets with um, the guards of the temple. And they say to him, we've just got a few questions before we can let you in. Uh, okay, okay, well, um, what is it? Is it money you want? No, 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 it's not money. We just need to know a bit about you before we can let you in through these doors into the temple to meet with God. Just, just tell us a bit about yourself. And so you can imagine he begins, well, look, I don't like to make a big thing of it, but I'm actually, I'm actually kind of a big deal. You know, I'm the, um, I'm the chancellor of the exchequer for a nation, you know, um, if you go down to Ethiopia, um, number 11 Downing Street down in Ethiopia, that's, that's my office. And um, actually, it was a role that I was prepared for from birth. I, I mean, from, from a very young age, my parents um, had me made into a eunuch, like, um, like all of the, the high civil servants in the palace. I, I'm sorry, what? Come again? Um, well, my parents had me made a eunuch. You know, all of the senior civil servants in Kandaki's palace are, are eunuchs. I'm sorry, no eunuchs allowed in here. Well, well um, you know, I've got money. You want money? No, I'm sorry. We have rules here. It says very clearly in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, that eunuchs are not allowed to worship in the temple. I'm sorry, we have rules. There's nothing we can do. And he goes away disappointed from the temple. He went to search... He went to meet God, to be connected with him, and the doors were closed. 
Now, just pause there for a moment. Um, why were eunuchs not allowed in the temple? I mean, what about diversity, for goodness sake? Why can he not go in? Well, um, the Old Testament law does say very clearly um, that, um, that God um, closed the door to eunuchs entering the temple. And it says it's because they were not, not the people that God had created them to be. You see, the Bible says that God is pure and clean and spotless and holy. God is whole. And the eunuch, you see, he wasn't pure and clean and spotless and holy and whole. And so he wasn't able to go in and meet with God. Not God's type, or so he was told. And we'll come back to that thought in just a moment But here he is, you can imagine as he walks away from the temple and his servants are saying, well, look, it's been a long journey. You know, let's at least take in the sights before we head home. But he's gutted because he came for one purpose, which was to meet God. And he's gone away no closer to God. And what's more, he's gone away none the wiser about who God is or how to know him. Just as he leaves, he stops at the temple bookshop and he picks up a scroll Uh, It would have cost a fortune in the first century, but then he's a wealthy man. And we're told in verse 28 that on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. See, here is this, um, this, this scroll from what we call the Old Testament part of the Bible. And he sat in his chariot reading, having gone all the way to Jerusalem, coming home clueless, reading this scroll and wanting to know about the God he couldn't connect with. And um, the thrilling thing in this passage of the Bible, the huge thing in this account is that the God of the Bible, the true and living God, our creator, is going to reach out and meet this man on his way home. Uh, It's flagged up for us that God is behind the encounter between them. I wonder if you noticed the sort of strange and unusual things that happen in this passage. Uh, Verse 26, we're told, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Again, verse 29, The Spirit told Philip, Go to the chariot and stay near it. Now, um, For an angel to direct someone or for the Holy Spirit to sort of directly speak to someone in this way is rare, even in the book of Acts. Yes, we believe that um, God is in control of every chance encounter that happens in the world, but but it's being flagged up for us here that God is directing this encounter in a special way. He wants this to happen in this way so that we can see how this man who'd been turned away met God and how God was reaching out to him. I guess sometimes we ask the question that, um, that Rhys talks about in his testimony, is God really interested in, in just, a, just a little individual like me? And here we see in Acts chapter 8 that God very directly takes a man who's actively involved in a, in a crowded ministry that's successful. People are becoming Christians earlier in chapter 8 in their numbers and God takes this guy Philip and sends him away to talk to one individual. Here is a God who cares about single individuals, who cares about a man who went up and found that he was not God's type at the temple. So what is it 
that happened. Well, then, Philip was clearly a rather fitter preacher than the one you're listening to this evening. Because verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. You know, I don't know what Philip's um, you know, per mile time was, but you can picture him jogging alongside the chariot. People in the first century read out loud. That was the custom. So he's there <sighs> keeping up with the chariot and he hears the Ethiopian eunuch is reading out these words from the Old Testament. And, um, and look, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about moving to Sheffield is, um, I, I don't know the best way to put this really, um, uh, the people of South Yorkshire are somewhat more blunt, shall we say, than the people I was used to down south. And there's something Yorkshire about Philip's question, isn't there? Do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> it's a great question, but there's not a lot of tact there, is there? Do you understand what you're reading? And notice the humility of the eunuch in verse 31. How can I unless someone explains it to me. How can I understand it? And, um, and the conversation goes on, because Philip, you know, Philip hops in to the chariot. They um, brush aside the papers of state from um, Ethiopia. He sits down next to him, and they chat, two blokes and a Bible. And here's what they say. Verse 32, the eunuch was reading this passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, the eunuch asks a really good question at this point. Tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture of the Bible and told him the good news about Jesus. See, it was talking about someone else. It was talking about Jesus. You love to have been a fly on the wall for this conversation. I don't know how it went, but here are two observations of things that they must have talked about if they were talking about the good news of Jesus, and they had this this quote, this passage, Isaiah 53, open on their laps in front of them. Um, Firstly, Jesus died so that anyone can know God. Jesus died so that anyone can know God. That is the good news. Verse 32, um, that passage from Isaiah said, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer was silent, he didn't open his mouth. See, if you, um, if you went up to the temple in Jerusalem, and, um, and unlike the eunuch, you were able to get past the doors, you would see people bringing sheep, lambs really, and they would, they would bring the lamb in, and they'd put their hand on it, and they would, um, they would confess all of the things that they'd done wrong in their lives. And then a priest would take the lamb and slaughter it in the temple. And you see, the idea was that the lamb died instead of the person who'd done things wrong. The lamb died as a substitute in the place of someone who had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what the prophet Isaiah was talking about here 
He was saying that those sheep in the temple, those lambs, were like a giant visual aid, a picture of what a person would do. And um, the question the eunuch's asking is a good one. Who's the person? Is it the prophet? Philip says, no, it's Jesus. Now think about the eunuch for a minute. The eunuch was someone who could not come to God because he was not the person he was created to be. And the reality that the temple spoke of is that what was true of the eunuch physically is true of every one of us morally and spiritually, that we are not the people that we were created to be. Uh, Last year, um, a journalist for The Guardian, Emma Freud, uh, wrote an article called What is Your Biggest Regret? Here are people's dramatically, uh, sorry, devastatingly honest answers. Uh, You can find it online if you want to. Fascinating piece. Um, She asked on Twitter, um, all of her Twitter followers, um, uh, what is your biggest regret? Asking for a friend. And um, she writes this. The response was huge. The tweets were devastatingly honest. I'd casually asked a question that surprisingly a lot of people really wanted to answer. And you know, if you, if you read that article, some of the answers were quite light-hearted. Um, uh, my favorite light-hearted one, I think, was, um, I, my biggest regret is being sick in my father-in-law's hand. So that, there's an image that you can take home with you. Um, someone else said, not flying Concord to New York with Lionel Richie, because I had to work that evening. You know, some, some light-hearted regrets, but others in that article were painful and devastatingly honest as people reflected on the lives they'd they'd lived and they said, there are things that I deeply, deeply regret. And you see, what she'd exposed in in just a few words on Twitter and a few hundred replies is that actually no one can in honesty get to the end of their lives and say, I've lived with no regrets. It's been fine. I've done really well. Now, you see, God tells us that the the secret of life is very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love other people the way that you love yourself. But, of course, the problem is none of us gets to the end of our lives and says, yes, I've done that. Actually, we fall short of that in all sorts of ways. And you don't have to be very old to know what it is to feel real regret about the way you've treated other people. Now, worst of all, we walk away from the God who made us and turn our backs on him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a friend who, um, who only gets in touch with you when they want something. It's, quite, it's actually quite painful, isn't it, to be treated like that by someone? And yet, how often do we treat God like that? So, so we're looking for God when we want something. You know, the big exam is coming up. Worse, results day is just around the corner. And so we pray but actually the rest of the time we're quite happy to, um, to relegate him to the suburbs of our lives and not think about him. We turn our backs and walk away. And just, just the verse before this quote that they were discussing, Isaiah puts it like this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way. See, we walk away from the God who made us. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the wrongdoing and thinking and speaking of us all. 
See, on Good Friday, um, as Jesus died on the cross, he was acting like that sacrificial lamb. It was as if the sins of the world were placed on his shoulders and he died our death in our place. All the wrong things I've done, all the things that keep me out of heaven, all the things that condemn me to hell were laid on him on the cross as a sacrifice. And you see, what that means is that anyone can come to God and connect with him. Because you see, every one of us is not the person we were created to be. Every one of us knows what it is to regret and to turn our backs on God. But Jesus has died for every one of us. You know, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, uh, not to call, um, I came to call sinners, not the righteous. I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And, um, and when I get that out, right, um, well, it, you know, it makes me want to sit there like a child in school and put my hand up and say, I qualify. I want that to be for me. And we see that, you know, our first reading from the Old Testament, Isaiah 56, the prophet lays that out so clearly because he talks about foreigners and he talks about eunuchs. He talks about the people who were shut out from knowing God. And he says, let no foreigner who's bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me for his people. Let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, to them I will give within my temples and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. He goes on to say, I will gather still others to them besides those who are already gathered. See, because Jesus died, anyone can connect with God. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. None of us are the people we were created to be. And Jesus opens his arms to every one of us. You know, baptism is a great picture of that, isn't it? Of being washed clean of the ways that we're not the people we were created to be. How then did the conversation go on? Well, I'd imagine he said something like this. Jesus rose again so that we can know God anywhere. Not just anyone, but anywhere can we know God because Jesus rose again. Look at verse 33 with me again. His life was taken from the earth. Just there at the end there, his life was taken from the earth. You know, in the original context, this was um, another way of talking about the fact that this, this suffering servant would die. But we see in the early chapters of this, um, this account of history, this book of Acts, that Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. He was seen by eyewitnesses and spoken to and touched and, and spent 40 days with them and then was raised from the earth to heaven. Uh, one of the early Christian preachers, just back in Acts 7, verse 56, puts it like this. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
And you see, the point is this. For hundreds of years, if you wanted to connect with God, what you had to do was go up to this place on earth, this temple in Jerusalem, to do what the eunuch did. He made the long journey to a special place. But when he got there, he found the door shut and the knowledge of God barred to him. And of course, you read the early um, chapters of Acts and you see that Jerusalem had increasingly become a place where they kept the lid on the knowledge of God. And so he went away disappointed. But now, Jesus has risen. Now, Jesus is in heaven. The doors of heaven are open. And anyone, anywhere, can know God. Not in a special place, but in a person, the living Lord Jesus Christ. And can you see, this was fantastic news for the Ethiopian man who had gone up to Jerusalem and gone away disappointed, doors closed, not God's type. Because here he is in the desert on the way home. We might say spiritually in the wilderness. And yet God reaches out to him from heaven and connects with him. How does it happen? Well, verse 35, have a look at that with me. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, if heaven is open, if you don't have to go to a temple in Jerusalem to meet with God, how can you meet him in Jesus? Well, verse 35, it was two blokes and a Bible. How great is that? No special place, No special experience or manifestation of God. Not even particularly special people. Just two blokes and a Bible. Uh, Just a note on Philip here. If you know the book of Acts, you'll know that Philip is not one of the, um, the apostles. He's not one of those commissioned representatives of Jesus. He's not one of the big names. He's actually, back in Acts chapter 6, he's one of the church administrators. Uh, and look, um, I love the church office here. I'm not saying that to knock church administrators, um, not least because um, I'd rather if they didn't pull pranks on me for the rest of my time here at Fulwood Church. But um, the point is not to knock church administrators, but to see that this is, not, this is not a special person. This is not some guru who brings him into the presence of God. It's one of the church administrators. It's two ordinary blokes and a Bible. And the Ethiopian meets God in the person of Jesus. He hears the good news about Jesus and meets him for himself. God arranges a situation where this man is not in the special place. There's no powerful experience mentioned here. There's no apostle to hand. No, it's something very ordinary, actually. And yet he connects with God. Um, My son, uh, Tom, is three, and um, one of his great joys in life is those sort of um, puzzle books um, you, you know, you can buy them for an extortionate price from the magazine rack in um, co-op. And, um, a, a, and they have those puzzles where you have a sort of a scene and you have to spot all 40 octonauts 
in the scene. And if you don't know what an octonaut is, just, just count your blessings at this point. Um, but, but, you know, at the initial glance of a, of a tired parent, there are not too many octonauts to see. And yet, with the, the, the careful searching of an avid three-year-old, there are octonauts everywhere. And you see, the Bible's a bit like that, really. Um, it's... it's Full of Jesus on every page. You know, a, a casual read, five minutes glancing through the text and you can miss him. But something very ordinary here, they sit down and read this book, but it's full of Jesus. And they meet there a living Lord and Savior, one who welcomes anyone, anywhere to know God. And do you see the, um, the joy that the eunuch sees, uh, that the eunuch feels as he sees this. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Uh, Do you see what he's asking here? He's saying, um, he's saying, can it really be true? Someone like me, who's not the person God made them to be, Someone who's out in the wilderness, far away from any special place. There's no guru around. I've not had a special experience. Just just me. And yet, Jesus died and rose again so that I could be forgiven. My sins paid for by him. New life with him. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Is there anything that prevents me from becoming a Christian and knowing God for myself, having that great sign of being washed clean by Jesus and given new life? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. There was nothing stopping him because, you see, connecting with God... Meeting the true and living God, our creator, it doesn't take for you to go on a long journey. It doesn't take for you to do all the right things, to find the right place or person, to have some super experience. He's come to you in Jesus, who died for you so that you could be forgiven and rose again so that you could have new life. And you can find him in the Bible. It's as simple as that, to become a Christian To say to Jesus, I want your death to be in my place and I want new life following you. And after all, that's what baptism is a picture of, going down to be washed, coming up to new life. And there's nothing stopping this man from finding it. Now look, what does all this mean um, for our friends, our brothers and sisters who were baptized this evening. Well, let me say to you as I close, um, just this, um, remember your baptism. Remember that it's a picture not of something you have done for God or some great journey you've gone on to find and connect with him, but that he came to find you and washed you clean, not because of something you've done, but because of Jesus. And let me say to everyone here who would call yourself a Christian, everyone who's trusting Jesus for themselves, it's very tempting to forget this. You know, maybe it sounds like the gospel basics or something like that, but let me ask you this. Um, 
How often do you find yourself looking at the people you know, friends, neighbours, colleagues, and thinking some of them are, are more likely to be the sort of person who would become a Christian than others? You know, I, I know I do it. I think of two lads who arrived at a youth group I was running a few years ago, and one of them was the sort of perfect, well-behaved school prefect type who I thought would fit in perfectly. Uh, the other one was covered in tattoos, came wearing a trench coat, and couldn't, you know, couldn't even bring himself to say hello. It was more of a sort of monosyllabic grunt, really. And in my head, I'd already decided which of them was likely to become a Christian. And you see, we see here in Acts 8 that no one is more or less likely to be God's sort of person. Actually, everyone is not the person they were created to be, and everyone needs Jesus to be the one who died for them and rose again so that anyone anywhere can know him. And it comes very simply through opening the Bible I guess that's a challenge for some of us, isn't it? To think, what would it take to make my friends, my neighbours, my colleagues connect with God? You know, Acts 8 says that it's um, two blokes in a Bible open in front of them, discussing what it says and seeing Jesus there. And I wonder if, um, I wonder if we feel um, convinced that actually to ask someone to read the Bible with us is about the best thing we could possibly do. The, um, the evangelist Rico Tice, I know when he came to speak at um, the Uni of Sheffield Mission a few years ago, had them all practicing, asking someone, would you like to read the Bible with me? Now, I'm going to spare you all that ev- uh, that, um, that doing that this evening, but maybe you'd like to try that after the service, to just practice saying to someone, would you like to read the Bible with me? Because it's there we find Jesus and connect with God. But look, let me say as I close, I've gone on too long, and I just want to say as I close, it might be that you're here this evening and you have been searching for God for a long time. Maybe you felt bitterly disappointed in that search. Not God's type. Not able to find the place, the person, the experience. And maybe this evening you have seen that we don't need to be a certain kind of person or do the right thing to to find God, but that he's come to us in Jesus. What we've been doing this evening is precisely what Philip and the eunuch did in the chariot on the road. We've been looking at the Bible together and seeing Jesus. And if that's you, let me just say to you that Jesus came to call you home, to connect with you so that you can be forgiven all the things you regret and to have a new life with him. And maybe we could ask you the question, here is water, why shouldn't you be baptised? I wonder what's stopping you from saying to Jesus, I want your death to be for me. And you know what? (laughs) If you're thinking that right now, we've um, we've got a hymn to sing in a minute, and we've got water here, so come and find me. I brought another set of dry clothes and another warm towel just in case that's you this evening.